This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. My mindset on what success looks like is really how do I build a great team or continue to build a great team that loves what they're doing and has a passion for helping people find balance in life? How is our company making a positive impact in the world? And is this something that I am still passionate about and love doing every day and want to keep doing for the next 20 years? Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Real Reel Podcast. If my audio quality sounds a lot worse, it's just because I'm recording this intro with my AirPods. I am currently in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we're doing a little team trip here for Rella and I forgot my microphone. So I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because I would much rather you listen to the quality audio and not only that, but the quality value, the messaging, the, the interview is so good in this one. So I'm very excited because we are having Steven from Loci on the podcast. If you guys don't know what Loci is, I think that you guys either didn't have like friends in the mid to like 2010s even even now i mean everyone wears them but it's the bracelet that has mud from the dead sea and then water from mount everest and it's about your highs and your lows and balances and i think every single person and their mother and their cousin and their dog and literally everyone had this bracelet i am finally getting to interview the founder which i was so excited when he came on my podcast because that is one brand that i think has done such a good job at community and it's also done a good job at like going viral and getting into every single person's hands or in this case on everybody's wrist. So I'm very excited to talk about Steven. Steven Eisen is the founder of Loci, like I said, which is the bracelet phenom which Eisen conceived out of Cornell and it now retails in more than 5,000 locations and 170 countries. Just so you guys can envision the scale of this company if you couldn't already tell. He named it Loci, which comes from like a Hawaiian word, which means the blending of opposites. And he spent six months scouring the globe for opposing elements from the highest and lowest points on earth, which is really, really cool if you think about it. The fact that you're wearing something that has come from such different places and literally one of the highest and the lowest places on earth, like that's actually insane. And he launched the company in 2013. So he's been around for a very long time. And I asked him about the process of blowing up. He was also discovered by celebrities like Justin Bieber, Cam Newton, Blake Lively. I mean, every when I say everyone, like I need validation on this. Let me know if you had one of these bracelets. We're going to do a poll because I think everyone did. And so many people still to this day do. He also donates 10% of his profits to charity. And he launched his second business, which is Elements, six years after Loci. So he is a multi-hyphenated entrepreneur at this point. He has multiple businesses under his belt and he is incredibly successful. So I wanted to really pick his brain and dive in, get to his origin story, but then also talk about why he decided to start a second business that is so different from his first one. So in today's episode, we dive into Steven's initial expectations and visions when he first was starting the company compared to kind of what it is today, how his life of success has changed in starting the business, the differences between starting your first business and your second, and the difference between a CEO and a founder, which he describes perfectly. And I'm kind of going through that transition myself where, yes, I am a founder. 
but I am also the CEO and there is a difference. And his advice was just so helpful for me as an entrepreneur. We also talk about his take on the future of startups and why he himself actually invests in startups and what he looks for. And I mean, just what he looks for in founders when he's investing in those startups. This was a conversation where it was one of those where I felt almost selfish for having this interview because I was asking him every single question that was in my head that I wanted to know. I took full, you know, like took full advantage of him (laughs) in the sense of like asking him any question that came to my head and it made for such a great episode. So I'm going to stop with the audio, the AirPod audio. We're going to get back to the mic and we're going to have Steven on the mic this time. And I know that you guys are going to enjoy today's episode. Hi, Steven. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Hey, Natalie. How are you? Good. So I always start my podcast with setting the record straight. So this is where I give you some stereotypes, some assumptions. You let me know your thoughts, true, false, whatever you think. So the first one is that it's a struggle to find work-life balance as a founder. True. Yeah. I know that, I mean, your bracelets especially are a lot about like balance, you know, balancing and also the highs and lows. But do you find that that's hard to actually implement into your real life as you are the founder of this company? Or have you made that kind of a mission and integrated into your culture? Yeah, I think that um, Loka is now nine years old. At the beginning, it was definitely work, 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 work. Like, couldn't think about anything else or do anything else. And we can talk about it later. But I think as I transitioned from a real founder mindset to more of a CEO mindset, I've been able to put in place some guardrails that I use to help myself find a work-life balance. And I have two kids now. So two kids on top of wanting to stay healthy with fitness and work is hard to do, but there are a few tricks that can really help out. Yeah. Well, I need to hear those because I'm <laughs> I'm a founder right now as well. And we are in year one and a half. So we just passed our first year, but it's our first year actually with a product in the market and actually having launched an application. And it's definitely one of those things where right now that's all I think about. I'm very much in the founder mindset of mm-hmm. this is my entire life and I'm wearing a million hats and I'm doing a bunch of different things. And my social life is definitely seeing a bit of a, like yeah. not, not really existent right now. So I'm very excited to dive into that. Awesome. And the next one is that it's incredibly challenging to start a business in 2022. Ooh, false. I think that um, finding your passion and what business you want to start is probably a lot harder. I think with access to the internet and people being so willing to grab coffee or meet with you and support and help. I think if you're willing to ask people for help and do the hard work, I think there's probably never been an easier time to start Mm -hmm. a business. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, nowadays, you know, you can get connected to anyone that you want because of the internet, because of LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. If you're a podcast host, you can interview people. You know, it's so much easier to get in contact with the right people and to actually have your name out there. But I'm curious as to why you think it's harder now to find your passion. Like, do you think it's just we're overwhelmed with so much information that that's why it's harder or? Yeah, I I don't think it's easier or harder than it was in the past. I just think it is very hard, period, to find a passion that you have that lines up with a great market 
an opportunity to build a real company. And I think a lot of people see trendy things happening in the market and jump on the bandwagon of starting that company and do it for wanting to make money fast. But if you're not willing to put in 20, 30 years of your life, like maybe you exit a company sooner than that. But I think if you don't go into it with the mindset that you'd be happy to do it for that long, you will quickly learn how challenging it is and give up because, I mean, you're a year and a half in, like there's a lot of highs and lows that happen when starting a business. And if it's not something you're super passionate about, the want to continue and wake up every day to work on it, I think starts to fizzle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people like, of course you want to make money in your business, like obviously, or else you're doing a hobby if you're, you know, not making money at the end of the day. But if you do not like fully believe in what you're building, what you're doing, the mission, like it's just not worth it. Like I would, you know, you'll quit, like you'll quit into a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so hard. And there's so many moments where you just think like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done or, oh my God, like, is this going to work? There's so many times when you think that, that if you're not even like fully believing in what you're building, then why would you continue after that? You know, it's just, it just Mm -hmm. wouldn't be worth it for you. The next one is that when you have a business, you work 24 seven, which kind of goes back to our first one of work, like balance. False. Obviously at the beginning of starting a business, I think you have to work 24 seven because Mm -hmm. if you're in the right place at the right time, you're competing with other entrepreneurs that are trying to start similar businesses. But I've always thought about how there are some people that make billions of dollars, some that make millions and some that work nine to five and and bring home a salary. Time, everyone has the same 24 hours. It's not about how much time you work. It's about how strategic your work is and what you're doing to make the biggest impact on your business every day. And mm-hmm. I think if you can be smart about the use of your time, you can separate your work versus your life and personal stuff. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage, because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz-free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. 
I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Do you have tips on how to figure out how to be strategic with your time? Like, do you make to-do lists? Do you time batch? Or do you have anything, anything like that that you do to make sure that your time is well spent? Yeah, I think the most important thing, honestly, is sleep. I think that on when you go on social media and you see all these people saying, you have to work 24-7, you have to work till three in the morning, wake up at five in the morning and work, 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 work. Like, that is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You can't work like that for 10 years. And if you don't get a great quality of sleep, the next day you'll wake up tired and groggy and you'll just get off to a slow start. So for me, it's about, I've built a schedule that I could do my schedule every day for the next 50 years, um, right? It's not about what can I do in the next month and cram it all in and then be exhausted. So I really try to get seven to eight hours of sleep every night. And then I really take the time that I am working and actually work, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm not also scrolling social media. I'm not getting up and going to get a coffee. Like I try to like, get as much in, in the time that I'm working as I possibly can. And then say, okay, now I'm going to jump off the clock. So for me, like five to 7 PM, I unplug, don't look at my phone. I'm with my kids. I feed them, give them a bath, put them to bed. And I know that that is personal time and not work time. Uh, And I think that's also really important is separating when you say you're working versus not. If you're working when you're saying you're going to take a break, you're not getting that rest that you need to then be fresh when you want to jump back into work. So for me, it's really being thoughtful about my division of time of when I'm working, when I'm not working. 
Mm -hmm. And you've been doing this for nine years, right? You started it in 2013. Yeah, I came up with the idea for Loci in 2011. So it's been like 12 plus years, but I launched, I bootstrapped Loci. I launched it in June of 2013 when I graduated from Cornell. So yeah, it's been alive and kicking for nine years now. Yeah. Have you experienced burnout? And is that why you know like the, how important rest is or it's something that you've just always implemented? I think that as I've matured as an individual and as a leader within the company, I've just learned along the way different, different things that have helped me become more able to step back from the day-to-day and, and not have burnout versus burning out because I'm trying to do it all. One of which is when you're building a company, hiring great people, right? Mm-hmm. And I, at the beginning, when I was an entrepreneur in the early days, I would hire people and then I would micromanage them on what they were doing because I thought that I was better than everyone else at their job and I knew what was the right thing to do. And I, I've learned since then, that's like the worst thing that you could do. If you're going to hire someone, make sure you're hiring someone that you believe in and believe that they could do a better job at their job than you could ever do. And then give them the space and let them do that responsibility. And you focus on the vision and where you want to take the company and hiring other people to fill the spots, right? Obviously, when you're just starting a business, you have to be a jack of all trades and do it all. But I think that's a really important piece of not burning out is hiring great people when you can and really trusting them yeah. to do their job. Who was your most like pivotal hire in the beginning? Like who was the first person that you were like, I need to have this person on my team because I cannot do it all. A, fi- a head of finance. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's a huge one because if you're not good with numbers or you don't like numbers or it just takes too much time, then outsource it because you cannot mess those up. <laughs> yeah. And it's finance is also so important because mm-hmm. at the, at the end of the day, my mentality with Loci and how I think about building all of the businesses that I'm involved in is businesses are meant to make money, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think in the last five to eight years, the trend has gone completely away from that. It's show growth, growth, growth top line growth, the bottom line doesn't matter at all. And I think you see when a market turns like it has over the last six months, investment dries up, people get a lot more cautious with how they spend money. And it really comes back to the fundamentals of your margin and making a business that generates profits. So Mm -hmm. Loka has been profitable every year it's ever existed for nine years. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you guys ever take on outside funding or were you bootstrapped the whole time? So in the very early days, I took a friends and family loan and then I paid that back. So no outside capital. Yeah. I feel like it's less heard of now because <laughs> now everyone, you know, yeah. raises money or it's like the small business that, you know, is at your local mom and pop shop or like a one person team or you take on money. So I always think that it's really awesome hearing stories of people that, you know, bootstrapped it and or didn't, you know, take on venture money, because even though it's not as glamorous, it's not, you know, getting you a tech crunch article, it's 
more important because you're not losing money and you're actually making money year after year. Yeah. And one of the reasons I think people are entrepreneurs is because they want to work for themselves right. and, and they want to be able to have that work-life balance and they don't want to have to answer to other people. And sometimes the hard decision is the right one and not taking the shortcuts. And when you take outside money, which I have on my second company, uh, Elements of Balance, although you're the founder and the CEO, like you're not the boss. You have to mm -hmm. report to the board and your outside investors. And it's a completely different mentality building and growing a business than when you own the whole thing and you can grow slowly at your own speed. And I, I, you're totally right. It's become such a press thing. Oh, this company raised this much money or this one raised this much money. Some of the most successful entrepreneurs I know who are in their 60s and, and later, they actually own all of their company. Uh, mm -hmm. And they started it and it built, they, it took them 30, 40 years to build, but that's real value that they've created for themselves. Mm -hmm. And when you first started in entrepreneurship, so back in 2011, like you said, when you had this idea, did you have any expectations like, oh, this is what entrepreneurship will look like? This is what my day to day is going to look like. And did that change once you actually started and launched the business in 2013? And, and kind of like, what was that like? Yeah. So to take you back, I had always been very entrepreneurial. My grandfather's an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur. So I was, was coming up with ideas. When I was a freshman at Cornell, my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he was someone I was really close to growing up. And that really brought me to a low in my life. And so I was thinking about just the highs and lows that I was going through as an individual and how everyone goes through highs and lows. And the importance of finding balance throughout life. And it got me thinking, okay, well, what are the highest and lowest points on earth? Mount Everest and the Dead Sea. And how could I take elements from those two places and incorporate them in a product that people could wear every day as a reminder to find balance? Staying humble when you're on top of the world and hopeful when you've hit a low. So for me, it was more of the concept and something that happened in my life that drove me to create Lokai as a company versus, hey, I love this industry. Let me start a, a company within this industry. Mm -hmm. It was more of a personal story. I think I got lucky a little bit that I started in a category that had products with great margins and was large enough TAM to be able to build a large business. But yeah, that's kind of the start of where Lokai came from. When you first started it, did you think that it would be what it, where it is today? Or did you have expectations that this was going to be huge? Or at first, was it, oh, I'm just going to create these bracelets and you know sell them to my friends? Like, What were the expectations in the beginning? Or what was the vision in the beginning? So I remember this clearly when I was starting. I said, okay, this will be a success to me when I sell over 10 million Lokai bracelets. And we did that a couple of years ago. So what I first viewed as success, I checked that box, but my view of success has really changed since then. Lokai also donates 10% of profits to charity. And we've now donated a little over nine and a half million dollars to different nonprofit awesome. organizations. Thank you. And um, yeah, now I, my mindset on what success looks like is really how do I build a great team or continue to build a great team that 
loves what they're doing and has a passion for helping people find balance in life? How is our company making a positive impact in the world? And is this something that I am still passionate about and love doing every day and want to keep doing for the next 20 years? Um, Mm -hmm. So those are kind of what I view as success now. Mm-hmm. And one, congrats on both the 10 million and the over 9 million in charity. I think that's awesome. So you kind of knew that this would be big, even even in the beginning, because 10 million is not a small number from, you know, when you started this about a decade ago. That's a huge, huge number. So when you first started, what did you kind of do to spread the word? How did this go kind of viral? I mean, I know everyone I know has one. Like my boyfriend has one, my brother has one, my sister's boyfriend has one. Like everyone I know has one of those bracelets and or Mm -hmm. has bought multiple like in the past few years. So how did you get this to spread? Was it just word of mouth? Was there something that kind of shot you up or was it something that in the beginning you had the strategy of how to get this in the hands of of everyone? Yeah. And just to give everyone that's listening uh, a little inside look into what low card bracelet is. Uh, every bracelet has a white bead and a black bead. Injected in the white bead is water from Mount Everest and injected in the black bead is mud from the Dead Sea, which are the highest and lowest points on earth that remind you to stay humble and hopeful in life. For me, it, it started with a great product. So making sure that the quality of the product was great and uh, it was something that people wanted to wear, right? Because if you don't have a great product, doesn't matter how good your marketing is, how good your sales team is, people just won't continue to buy the product if the quality isn't great. So I believe quality is number one. Second is, you know, I started with a display walking door to door, trying to sell into retailers. I would walk around New York City, walking into yoga shops, women's boutique stores, surf shops when I'm in places that have surf locations. And I would just say, Hey, is the manager here or is the owner here? And quickly tell them about my Lokai story. And I'd get turned down by 99% of the stores. But every time I got one, the thrill and excitement of it just kept driving me. So I really started like going door to door. And what really blew us up was we were one of the first companies, I think, to really use social media to tell the story of who we are and, and what we were as a company. And with celebrities and athletes and influencers, everyone has highs and lows in their life. And so I was reaching out to celebrities and athletes. And if I heard, hey, this person's mom had breast cancer, or, oh, I know this celebrity really supports Alzheimer's, um, I would just send them DMs and say, Hey, I know this is a cause you're really passionate about. We have a low card that supports this. Can I send it to you? And we organically just started to get on thousands of people's wrists and they would just tell their story through social media of the highs and lows that they were going through and how that bracelet supported a cause that they were passionate about. And it just went viral, you might say. Yeah, I think that's also really important is that you didn't use social media as like a promotional tactic. Like, here's our bracelet, go buy it. It was more just being authentic and sharing mm-hmm. stories. And then the bracelet was a part of it, but it, that wasn't what like this post was selling. You know, the post was selling authenticity and, you know, like being relatable to people's audiences, not just 
here, like get 20% off using my code, Natalie, you know, like it wasn't. And I think that's the difference where nowadays we see a lot more of that. We see a lot more promo-y, like, let me just Mm -hmm. get a lot of eyes on this rather than like people being actually connected to the mission and the purpose of it. So I think it's really cool that that's how it started. And I think also it was at a time when no other brands were using social media to talk about their products. And nowadays there's a thousand influencer agencies and there's a thousand paid ad agencies for social media. If you really want to break through, you have to do something different than everyone else and you have Mm -hmm. to look elsewhere. So when I think about what's up and coming, I love Web3 and the NFT space and how you can use that technology to build a community and build awareness. So that's where I'm looking now of reaching new audiences. Mm -hmm. And you also started your second business now. So you have another business called Elements. What's the difference between starting your first business and starting the second one? Is it easier now that you, you know, have, have gone through it a first time or is it just as hard? I would say it is in some ways a lot easier and in some ways a lot harder. It's a lot easier because I now have a more of like an eagle eye view, you might say, or, or like a 30,000 foot view of how your company is built and uh, what it takes to be successful. Some of the things that I did right off the bat was I knew the skills that I was good at, branding, marketing, product. And I knew the things that I was not good at and didn't know how to sell drinks into retailers, right? And the whole operation side of ready to drink product. So I built an executive team before I even started the company of industry veterans that knew what they were doing in the space. And I gave them all equity as part of their compensation to want to be excited about the opportunity and the brand. And I would say on the flip side, you know, I think. After you've built one company, like the early days of being a founder, I slept in the office when I first started Loki. And now with two kids and having a little bit more of a comfortable life, having been successful with Loki, like I'm not sleeping in the office. So I think I'm working smarter, not harder Mm -hmm. on elements, but you can't replace that passion that a first time founder has willing to run through brick walls. So I would say that that is a detriment to starting a second business. Yeah. And I know you've talked about how you've got been in the founder mindset and then you've kind of transitioned to CEO mindset with Loci and also with Elements. Did you make that transition in both companies from founder to CEO? And what is that transition? Are you more specified in your role just, yeah, what's that transition like? Because I know Elements is new. So I, I'm wondering if you still have that founder mindset on there or made them uh, switch to CEO. <laughs> I, I do, but I catch myself and I try to take a much more CEO approach now, which I would say the biggest way to define the difference is emotion. I found that a founder is incredibly emotion. Their company is their life. It's when things are going well, they're excited and elated. And when things are bad and there's an issue, like, they're down, they're upset. Like there is no doubt. It doesn't matter what company, what industry you're in, there's going to be highs and lows with building a company and being able to separate your emotions from what is happening in the business has really been what I have found 
the biggest difference between founders and CEOs. And I really learned that skill by being on the board of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. There's incredible operators on that board with me, including like the CEO of Disney, the CFO of Netflix, just to name a few. And the way that they think about what is happening within the organization and how they make decisions is there is no emotion. It is purely what is the best strategic decision to make that can help the company go where it needs to go. And that's really a mindset that I've taken when things are good or when things are bad with either low care elements. Yeah. How do you make that switch, I guess? like, Is, is there anything that you've done or any practices that you've done that help with that? Because, you know, it is really hard, especially if you're starting out as a founder, like it's hard to kind of switch as to, okay, I'm not going to be emotional because it is like you said, your baby, like it's your business. Yeah. It's thing you've built, you've grown, or does that just take time? I think it just takes time. I think, I think if you're hearing this and you take advice and do it, you will, you will quickly see, wow, like, I used to pour so much emotion into this and the outcome was the same. Now I don't pour that emotion into it and the outcome is the same as if I had. And so, yeah, I think stepping back and realizing for me, health and family and happiness, like if no one died, you know, like it's just at the end of the day, you're building a business, but it's not your life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely try to to view it that way, you know, just seeing like, this is not the end of the world, or this is not the best thing in the world either. You know, it's a part of me and it's a part of what I do. But like you said, there's other important things that are out there and you can't put 100% of your mental energy and stress and happiness into work, like no matter what you do. And I think if you make an emotional decision, it probably won't be the right one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You have to take a step back and look at it more from that business approach and that a strategic approach. Yeah. So just something small that I try to do, if I get an email or get a call and it's something I'm really not happy about, I pause, I like don't respond and I'll respond the next day because mm -hmm. I know over that day, like I won't be as emotional and I'll be in a better mindset to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. And you have an interesting perspective because you've been the founder, the CEO of Loci. You've really brought that to success. I mean, it's still a really successful company. And now you're also starting a, or started a second company. So you've kind of seen that transition from a decade ago to today. Where do you think the future of startups is headed? Like, do you think that there's going to be a lot more entrepreneurs that are entering the space? Do you think that startups are just going to look, operate and look a lot different than they did, you know, 10 years ago? Or what's your perspective on that? I love young people who are innovative and breaking into new industries. I think as you see with the tougher market right now, it's harder to raise money. So mm -hmm. really the strong survive and the weak companies end up getting weeded out. I would say for anyone starting another business right now, are they really making a large impact or changing the way people live? Are you making people's lives better by what you do in some way? And making sure that you are looking into innovative industries, I think also gives uh, a great opportunity for where older, larger companies can't move as fast. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I think a lot of people enter the space with this glamorous mindset where entrepreneurship is so glamorous. I'm going to be able to work whenever I want. I can do whatever I want. I don't have a boss telling me what to do. Like, this is awesome. And then quickly you realize that it's actually not glamorous. It's really hard. It's really, you know, you you don't actually end up having a lot of free time because you're pouring mm-hmm. so much time into what you do that that also like weeds out people. But yeah. hopefully, you know, as as the years go on and as we progress, there's going to be like more and more people entering it that are really like strong founders and finding like really good like founder market fit, product market fit. But I think it's kind of like a cycle of a lot of people entering and then like leaving because it gets really hard, entering, leaving because it gets really hard. And this season might be one that really shows that extreme. Like you said, it's hard to get funding. People aren't spending as much money anymore because I mean, people are scared Mm -hmm. that there's a looming recession. So people are saving a lot more. So I definitely think this is one of those seasons where, like you said, it is the strong that survive. Yeah. And to the beginning of this conversation, right? On the flip side, if you have a great idea, there's no better time to start a company because of all the resources that are available to you mm-hmm. online. Yeah. And I always think like, even if people say, this is such a bad time to raise money, this is such a bad time to start something. If you have an idea and you're passionate about it, do it. Like who cares about the statistics and what people think? I mean, no matter what time you start, most companies fail. Like most startups fail, even if you start now or if you start in a really great market. So I always think like if you are really passionate about what you're, what you're doing, like you said, you're making lives better or you're making someone's life easier and you have this idea, like don't let those statistics or, you know, fear of failing stop you from starting either. I agree. Yeah. And do you yourself invest in startups? And if you do, like, what do you look for like in founders? I do. The three things that I look for that are the most important one is the founder themselves. I think you have to bet on the individual Mm -hmm. uh, because not only will the end result of the company not be where it started 99% of the times, right? The number of pivots and changes that you have to make within the company, but also the ability to build it over a decade or two decades, like that takes real time and passion. And I think finding the right people to bet on is the number one most important thing because they will figure out how to adjust and change and pivot to build a successful company. Second is really the industry, right? Does this company have the ability to earn X percent of the market share? And is that market share large enough to build a very large successful business, right? There are great ideas for products, but if the size of the market isn't big enough, it's not worth the investment. It might be a passion that someone has and they want to create that product for themselves and the people that need it. But from an investment standpoint, that's a very important one. And then third is product, right? doesn't matter how good the brand is, how good the team is, if the product isn't great, Mm -hmm. it will not be a successful company. Yeah. So we are in the process of raising money right now. And I always want to ask investors like the flip side of it. Like, what do you look for in founders? What do you look for in startups? Because eventually I would like to become an angel investor. Like I would actually like to support other founders and invest in myself. But I always am trying to kind of curious since I've been now on the other side of it where I'm pitching Mm -hmm. and I'm speaking with investors to the side where I want to kind of like dive deep and be like, so what do you look for? Like, what's the, (laughs) what are you looking for? And then also it'll shape the way that I probably invest in the future as well. Mm -hmm. 
have you noticed though in the past few years that there's been a lot of people that start that I guess they start for like the wrong reasons like the people that you've spoken with that they're starting because they just like want to be an entrepreneur but not necessarily I guess like they don't have the characteristics of one or they don't not you know that I guess they start just because of that like glamorous lifestyle that is kind of sold to people now with the rise of social media because I've always wondered that because I do think social media has brought a lot of people wanting to you know quit their job and and do their own thing yeah I think everyone starts with a great intention of wanting to build a great company but I think there are individuals who want to build a really trendy cool brand versus people who deeply understand the business that they are building and that's why I said earlier that the first important hire I made was the head of finance because at the end of the day the financials of the business are the truth of what is going on mm-hmm. right and does the product have the margin? Are you spending the right percent of your budget on marketing versus team versus like sales? And there are individuals who don't think about those things when they want to start a cool company versus people who understand the full picture and all of the different aspects that go into building a company. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then before we go, I wanted to ask one question that I'm just honestly curious about. What does your day-to-day look like as a CEO? Do you have like a routine that you follow or what does like a typical day in your life consist of? Yeah. So I wake up at about 5.30. Workout is the first thing I do. I find when I work out in the morning, it just sets my day up for success. I've already achieved something and I feel great when I do that. Then I'm usually with the kids from seven to eight, start working at eight. I work from eight to five nonstop. Sometimes I miss lunch because I'm just like working. And then from five to 7 p.m., I'm off with the kids. And then I usually will sign on for a couple hours, seven onwards until I go to sleep around 10, 10.30. Yeah. And do you mainly take meetings? Are you mainly talking to your team? Like, I guess, what is the biggest part of your day look like when you are working? On the low-chi side, I'm mostly in meetings with my executive team and they really handle the day-to-day and I'm helping really drive three-year strategy and plan and where we want the company to go over the next couple of years. Because I've also learned once you start to build a company, nothing happens overnight. And mm-hmm. so you need to know where you want to go to get there. And that's really my job on the low-cost side. On the element side, just like you, I'm spending a bunch of my time fundraising and talking to outside investors. Yeah, it's not very fun, but <laughs> it'll get done hopefully quickly. So at least it's a season. It's a temporary season. Once a year, every 18 months, yeah. however long, until you raise the next one. Or until you get the company profitable. <laughs> yes, yes. Or until then, which is always the goal. But yeah. And what advice do you have for entrepreneurs that are starting today? Pace yourself. Make sure you love what you're doing because if you don't love it, you will mm-hmm. not be successful. I truly believe that. And pace yourself because you can't build a business to sell it in three years. Like the one or two times you read a story about that is like one in a billion right? Mm-hmm. It, it takes 10, 20 years to build successful businesses. And so you have to be able to have a routine that allows you to do that. 
for that long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Where can they find you? Where can they find Loki? Where can they find Elements? And I'll also have in my intro a description of everything. So we'll we'll get a deep dive into Elements and Loki. Awesome. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram at Steven Eisen. And then uh, Loki is Loki.com, L-O-K-A-I.com. And Elements of Balance is elementsofbalance.io. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the Mom Room Podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood. Hey, my name is Lovon Rumpf and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here. And vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.